the theme of our podcast is people, you know, relationships. And it's got a heavy slant toward skilled trades, HVAC, because that's my world. But it's more about, or we try to, to make sure that we keep centered the people associated with that work. And in that world, we have young female technicians from Canada. We have, you know, more seasoned uh, technicians who have gone on to greatness and, and written books. I mean, we just had a, a whole cast of characters. But it's just an outlet where people can come together, have a conversation. We don't have a very heavy script. We have an introduction. We talk a little bit about how we know each other, and then we just rabbit hole it. So whatever pops up, we look down and or we go down that rabbit hole. And I usually look at the clock and I go, holy crap, how did we get you know 50 minutes into a conversation that I feel like we just started? Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 113. I am your host, Keith Williams. Thank you for tuning in. Today's show, we are going to discuss what it takes to be successful in the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning business. That's HVAC. What changes are taking place in that business in terms of technology, growth, and opportunities? Today's guest is a fellow podcaster, that promotes the skilled trades. My guest has 40 plus years in the HVAC industry. My guest is an advocate for careers in the skilled trades and is most proud of 36 years of marriage to his wife, Connie, and a successful career in the trades. He enjoys nurturing and mentoring newcomers to the HVAC industry. And during his free time, he enjoys the outdoors, fishing, reading. Entering the stadium today, please welcome the host of the podcast, Straight Out of Compton, Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you today? Keith, I'm doing well. That was a heck of an introduction. It, you know, when, when you hear 40 plus years in the industry and 36 plus years of marriage, it kind of makes you take that moment and go, wow, that's a long time. But I guess we call that being well seasoned is what I like to call it. So thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. You know, I've, I've enjoyed our, our conversations that we've had offline, mostly over LinkedIn and kind of learning about each other and what we're doing. And really, really thrilled to be part of Skill Stadium and uh, looking forward to uh, having a good conversation. Excellent. Well, Greg, I've listened to your podcast and it's you have some you have some good material there and it's helped me to get to know you a little better. And I got to ask you something because I know that you are, you know, you and I, we didn't grow up with social media. This wasn't around when I was growing up. I'm pretty sure it wasn't around when you were growing up. What platforms do you enjoy? What are your favorite platforms? I'm pretty much a LinkedIn guy. I use LinkedIn and it is linked to my Twitter account. And, um, you know, I do have an Instagram and I've watched TikTok because I'm trying to learn maybe how to do some stuff and how not to do some stuff. Maybe I enjoy a lot of them, but I just really focus on the LinkedIn because I am more I, I'm almost 60 years old. Most of my business associates tend to be more LinkedIn based as opposed to some of the other platforms. But I've got some colleagues and, and friends of the industry who kind of dabble in all of them. So I, I try to be cognizant, but maybe not as proficient in, in all of them as I am with LinkedIn. 
Yeah, I have to agree. LinkedIn is probably one of the best platforms just in terms of reach. It's one of the few platforms I see where you you can put a post out and you can almost get instant feedback. And it's, I don't know, I, I find it to be very effective. So I, I'm not surprised that you mentioned LinkedIn. Yeah, well, I like LinkedIn. It's one of the, I guess it's one of the acceptable, if that's a, a word, in business social media, because there's still a lot of senior leaders and managers and what have you at companies that are uh, social media reserved, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, they're scared of it. There's a, a whole in this a, a whole group within our industry, the HBAC industry, of people that are concerned that we're going to give away, you know, the secret sauce. The truth is the secret sauce is already out there. It's just whether you're talking about it or not. And the secret sauce is not the color of the equipment you're wearing or that you're selling or servicing. It's not the brand of truck you drive or the ERP software that you purchase. It's that, that lady or that gentleman sitting behind the wheel of that service vehicle that's interfacing with the end user. That's the secret sauce. And, and how you either allow that technician to roam the earth as she sees fit within a certain guideline. You know, here's company guidelines. We're not going to tell you how to do it. Here's what we we want you to stay within this parameter of on social media, primarily I'm speaking. But giving people the ability to, to be proud of their work and showcase their work, I think is really important, especially as you know, geezers like me fade out and younger people are coming into the industry. It's important to give them the microphone that they have, but for us to take the mute button off. Yeah. I also think it gives people the ability to get to know people better because I know before LinkedIn, when I was uh, coming up, I really didn't know anybody who was above me in terms of leadership because there was no way of, unless you were in the room, in a leadership role, you weren't going to find out what they were thinking or what the information they were sharing or what was going on. You didn't even know who they were. It was like a, um, a, a, uh, a mystery. And I think that LinkedIn has changed that. Absolutely. And sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, I worked for a company one time, a big company in Atlanta that uh, I was part of and, and worked there as a, an apprentice all the way through project manager sales and eventually I was an equity holder in the company. But I remember when I was a young guy, the gentleman who owned the company would have a state of the company address every year, kind of like a, a state of the union. And I remember looking around in, in one of those meetings and uh, my dad worked there. So he was instrumental in telling me, look, you young buck, you don't understand this yet, but you need to come hear this guy this afternoon because A, it's important for you to hear the direction of the company, but also for the company to see you as a field service technician are interested in what's going on outside of your little cab of the pickup truck. And uh, I remember sitting in that room and being in like one of two or three field people outside of, you know, there was probably, I don't know, 100 people there and everybody wearing slacks or a dress except me and one other guy in a pair of work uh, uniforms. And I remember right then thinking, I didn't fully understand it because I was so young and immature, but I remember thinking that this was a rare moment and how many people didn't get that opportunity and I think to your point, Keith, moments on social give people a glimpse into the mind of 
you know, their leadership team or old school terminology, their manager, that's all they're doing is managing, but at least they hear them. And to your point, I think that's something that we didn't have other than, as you said, you had to be there to hear it. And I heard it once a year. You know, so, hell, I don't know, maybe that was part of me getting excited about social media was being able to, you know, capture all those 364 days I didn't hear the guy talk that I wish I did. I also think we can appreciate it because we didn't grow up with it. Yeah. I like it, first of all. I mean, I enjoy learning. So learning how to use social media, not just from the technical bells and whistles of it, but like I I play with it. You know, I experiment with it, it, uh, LinkedIn posting. Do I, I post about equipment. I post about people. I post about culture, articles I've read, books I'm in the middle of reading. And I'm always fascinated by who responds to which articles. Yes. And if you put it on a... Uh, on a piece of paper, it probably looked like the, the Rorschach, the ink blot test, because there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, one, one day I can post about one of my coworkers in San Francisco doing something really cool at a medical facility, and it gets a lot of hits. And then the next day I post about a crane lift in Miami, and it gets a lot of hits. And then I can post about a trip I made to Minneapolis, and nobody gives a crap. So it's really interesting to me to see... You know, maybe I should compare this to the lunar phase calendar. I don't know. Maybe it's a lunar cycle, but there's something to the pattern. I just haven't figured out the pattern yet. Yeah. I'll tell you something I enjoy, too, is getting into the comment section. It's fascinating. You, you, it's, you learn a lot about people going into comment section, and it's a little bit of entertainment and education just getting into comment section. I've actually built networks and relationships just through the comment section. Well, I have as well, and I've also learned how to block people that are in the comments section because I I just don't want to hear or have to read some of that negativity that floats around out there. And that's the cool thing about social is we get to choose, you know, do you want to hear a little bit of politics? Do you want to hear a lot of politics? No politics. You know, we get to choose that. And uh, I'm I'm in the middle, you know. I mean, I, I don't want a lot of anything. I don't want a little of anything. I, I like to figure out, I'm kind of like Goldilocks, you know, I'm looking for that perfect balance. And I think watching, listening, participating in a couple of different platforms gives you that ability. You know, like I watch different news programs at night, one more liberal, more one more conservative. And then I try to draw my own conclusion. I don't just watch one or the other. You know, I'm reading a book right now about bias to uh, women in the workplace because I want to understand that better. I don't feel like I'm a woman being discriminated against, but I want to hear their voice so I can understand their perspective on how I act as a a 58-year-old white male in the workplace. So I think it's important that you get different aspects and have more than one input. I can tell you, yeah, I could tell you one thing that I would suggest that you could do is is interview them for the podcast, for your podcast, because I've interviewed some women and I've found when I interview women who are a little bit more seasoned, they're not afraid to, to speak their truth and the challenges that they've seen. But you're going to get different perspectives from a woman in her 20s versus a woman in her 40s and 50s. So I think if you have that opportunity and, and I can introduce you to some women who would be good guests to interview on your podcast. So um Yeah, I would do that if you really want to get that feedback. Well, I I interviewed a lady who's been a friend and and she's an author, Nilifer Merchant. 
And uh, Nilifer has a heck of a story. That hour I spent with her was really insightful. So if you get a chance to go back to straight out of Crumpton and listen to that Nilifer Merchant piece, it's really, really insightful. So I'll, I'm not pitching my own podcast here because I'm, I'm proud to be home years. But. Yeah. Speaking of your podcast, tell us about your podcast. So the podcast is called Straight Out of Crumpton. And a, a friend of mine kind of gave me that moniker based on straight out of Compton, obviously, and had a shirt made for me, the whole deal. And um, we started the podcast really in the heat of COVID because um, I was I was doing a fair amount of blogging. And if you go to gregcrumpton.com, you can see the blog and then you can see the podcast. And it's a roulette wheel, so you can pick whatever you want to participate in. But we did that to kind of, I guess, have a have people have an outlet during the COVID because everybody was at home and in lockdown, the, the COVID crisis. And so we've done over 50 episodes now. Man, I, I totally love doing it. And the theme of our podcast is people, you know, relationships. And it's got a heavy slant toward uh, skilled trades, HVAC, because that's my world. But it's more about, or we try to, to make sure that we keep centered the people associated with that work. And in that world, we have young female technicians from Canada. We have, you know, more seasoned uh, technicians who have gone on to greatness and, and written books. I mean, we just had a, a whole cast of characters, but it's just an outlet where people can come together, have a conversation we don't have a very heavy script. We have an introduction. We talk a little bit about how we know each other, and then we just rabbit hole it. So whatever pops up, we look down and or, or we go down that rabbit hole. And I usually look at the clock and I go, holy crap, how did we get, you know, 50 minutes into a conversation that I feel like we just started? But, you know, that's the joy of the industry, too, Keith, for me is that I've been able to travel worldwide and uh, nationwide for work and met so many darn good people that, you know, we're, we're fortunate that people agree to come on with us. And like right now, we're booked up in, you know, in February and we record one a week and we just have fun with it. Market Scale is my partner over there. They host the, and produce for us and uh, just do a fabulous job. So super happy. That's how I meet people like you, you know. We share the industry both in podcast terms and, you know, I don't think you or I, either one, are scaring Joe Rogan for viewers. But <laughs> no, we no, both no. have fun with it. And we're doing it yeah. because we want to, you know. I mean, this is my hobby. I don't make money off of it. I do it to help people. I do it to promote the trades. I do it to maybe help somebody who doesn't know what they want to do yet. I agree. 100%. That's exactly my mission, too. You spent 40 years in the industry what changes have you seen over the years in the industry in terms of technology, in terms of what people are doing to be successful, what skill sets are necessary to compete in the industry now as an HVAC professional? So I want to clarify, I think I heard you say spent and I'm say spending. So spending. I'm st sorry, spending. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I have to remind myself, I am still actively in, employed. That is a great question and, and a really fun question to think about. So I work for a company right now. We have 5,000 employees across the country, 44 different companies uh, that operate. And I have the luxury of going and enjoying watching those companies operate. I don't, I don't have to worry about payroll or insurance or trucks or gas or any of that anymore. I get to focus on 
how the companies perform, how they're doing technology-wise, how they're doing educational-wise. And I'm going to, I would have to tell you that the biggest change that I've seen, obviously, is technology and um, how we as an industry are using technology in the field, both from a diagnostic means, from, you know, actually measuring and validating the performance of equipment in all the way through how we report the health of that equipment back to our office and then ultimately back to the customer. You know, I grew up in a world of handwritten work orders and triplicate or, or quad print, and you really had to bear down because you had, and you couldn't read them anyway by the time you got to the fourth level of that print. So I think the ability to articulate and communicate to the end user a more precise diagnosis is really, it stands out for customers. I think that's important. The other thing that I find really fascinating about the evolution of the industry is the evolution of our technicians. You know, we hear all the time in, in general population, oh, these young people, they don't want to work. They're, you know, asleep on their mom's couch in the basement, what have you. We have a tremendous young population in this world. And, and probably like my popular, uh, my age group, my dad and his peers were probably thinking, good God, what are these guys going to turn into? Just like every other freaking, pop, every other generation does about the next one. But when I'm out and about and maybe I'm in a trade school or a union apprenticeship school, whatever, because our companies are about half and half, it's interesting to see the quality of people that are coming into the trades right now. They're not as abundant as we would like them to be, obviously. I, want, I don't want to misquote uh, quantity over quality. There is a, a huge divide, but the number of quality people that are coming is really high. In fact, uh, Eric Bowen, who is a, a gentleman I get to work with every day, he leads our talent and uh, technician uh, development program. And he and I were at a technical school in South Carolina uh, probably a month ago now. And we were talking to the department head about some of their initiatives that they're putting in place for 2023 to talk about the, the new energy codes, the different refrigerant gases that the technicians are having to think about. And um, he said that they were so impressed with the quality of the cohort they had last year. It was just probably the best class they've ever had of young people. So I think that as much as we went from the 1970s and 80s and shop class being, you know, in high schools, and then we went away from that. We're just beginning to be able to bring those trade school or trade classes and awareness back into public schools. You know, we hit a lull, but I think the people that are in that lull, even, you know, that they're, the few in numbers are high in quality. So um, the, the takeaway for me is no matter how much of the top layer of the numbers of people you take off, there's still a quality core of people that are coming into our industry. And I, I'm so excited we get, get to work with them and to see how those younger folks adapt to technology is like duck to water. You know, you take a software program on a phone and give it to a 60 year old technician. It's going to take him a bit to figure it out if he wants to which is the other piece of the puzzle, want. Sure. You give that to a 23-year-old young lady on a rooftop unit, get out of the way because she's almost done by the time you have the conversation. 
So I think that's really fun to watch and, and interesting to see develop. I also think another thing that I've noticed in talking to people in your industry is the salaries are going up. And a lot of people are not aware of that, that these are living wage jobs. They're certainly making a lot more money than if they were to go to work in retail or in restaurants and even some entry-level corporate jobs. The salaries now are on par. So as a result, you know, and, and people have to continue to learn because like you said, there is a lot of technology involved. The equipment is changing. So you have to have a certain mindset of, well, if you're not learning, I would imagine you're going to get left behind in your industry. And probably in all industries, to be honest, this day and age with, with the evolution of everything, you're spot on, though, with the, the financial reward that our industry offers people. And we as an industry have not done ourselves justice uh, through marketing or awareness or education of how lucrative our careers can be. And there's also a big misnomer out there. If you look up salaries and if you look at the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, the BLS government website, I feel like there's misleading information on there as to what technicians can actually do from a pay standpoint. I don't know, you know, without getting into trouble with the government, which I'd never want to do, I don't know where some of those numbers come from, but the starting pay for HVAC apprenticeship is substantially more than what's listed on that government webpage. So I think there's a lot of education to be done in the guerrilla tactics, hand-to-hand combat kind of way, which is get out, talk to trade schools, get out, talk to high school career days, make people aware that, you know, you can go to an apprenticeship program, go through an apprenticeship program with training. You can go through a contractor's training program with apprenticeship accreditation. You can do that for four years, come out, make a hundred grand a year with no debt. And while you're doing that, you get paid the whole four years. You're driving a company truck as a technician. You're carrying a company phone. You're issued a company computer. Your health care is usually paid for. I mean, it's like a no-brainer oh, yeah. once you crack the crust of... I don't want to get in an attic because that's where a lot of people's head goes. HVAC guy, he's always up in the attic. I've been doing this for 40 years and the only attic I've ever been in is mine looking for a dang Christmas tree. (laughs) So there's a whole lot more to the HVAC industry. It's like there are multiple verticals within that. My concentration was in the data center world. I spent a lot of time thinking about working in and understanding why we needed to get the heat out of the data center. We weren't weren't air conditioning the data center. We were getting rid of waste energy through heat rejection. You can go into medical, you know, be a surgical suite specialist and understand airflows, cross-contamination, blood-borne pathogens. I mean, there's a million different things that you can go into that fall under HVAC. So I think, again, education, awareness, and talking about the trade is one of the best things we could do to eliminate that I don't want to be in the attic mentality. So it's an ongoing effort. Yeah, I agree. Also, the other thing, too, when you, you, know, you mentioned the BLS and how they're off on the salaries, you have to keep in mind in certain parts of the country, the salaries are going to be higher and lower. If you're in New York, it's going to be different from 
South Carolina because the cost of living. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those the salaries, like you said, are cost of living based on that demographic or on that geographic area. You know, we have companies, uh, I live in South Carolina, I live in Greenville, South Carolina. And what an HVAC contractor charges for services here for a commercial office building are, you know, 40% less than what they charge in San Francisco for the exact same work. <clears throat> but also the price of fuel, the price of a Subway sandwich for lunch, all that is on the same pay grade as the higher cost of operations. So, but the, also the, the other, now that we're talking about geography, the beauty of it, skilled trade is, excuse me, if I can go to work, I can work in El Paso, Texas, Bangor, Maine, or, you know, Hawaii or Alaska. That's my trade. I know how to do air conditioning. One other question. Can you work overseas? Because I think this is important. So for people who want to work, say, in Canada or in Europe, is that also an option? Absolutely. The laws of refrigeration are based upon vapor compression. You have a compressor that's pumping a gas through a condenser, through a metering device, into an evaporator, and back to a compressor. Willis Carrier came up with that concept in 1936 or 37. That's physics. We can't change it. We can change the language. We can change the unit of measurement from, you know, Fahrenheit to Celsius. We can we can convert it to atmospheric PSI G versus PSI A. You can do all kinds of things, but the vapor compression cycle remains the same worldwide. So. Yes, you can go to Thailand and take an elephant to work and work on that same air conditioner that you can in New York City. Wow. Do they have programs? Would you say like, so let's say I'm a young person, I'm adventurous. And I, you know, if you're young, why not adventure? Could, are there programs or organizations they can join if they want to go travel, see the world and still work in the skill trades as an HVAC professional? You know, I don't know that, Keith. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe we should start a, a work tourism little side company. But yeah, there. If you are think about it this way, brands of equipment. There's you know all the big names: Carrier, Train, Daikin, you know whatever you want to name. Those companies are worldwide. So I would think if you would like to go to uh, Zimbabwe, then sure, ask your carrier dealer. How do yeah, they distribute in carrier? in Zimbabwe. Somebody is servicing air conditioners. I've been to a lot of countries around the, in the world, and I've yet to be in one without an air conditioner. So they're out there. There are certain programs with ASHRAE has an international outreach. There are ways to get exposure worldwide, but like anything else, it comes down to your network of people. And who do you know and where are they? Like right now, I know that Carrier is doing a week-long event in in Las Vegas. I just know that because I know people that are there. And I only know that because of my network, you know. So I, I know in two weeks, I'm going to be at the Mechanical Service Contractors of America Educational Conference in Huntington Beach, California. I know that because my network's there. So that that's how we grow, learn, and expand our industry reach is by embracing the network and the people that are in that network then lead us into how to get to Zimbabwe. 
Mm-hmm. I want to ask you something. This is going to go a little off topic, but I think this is an important question. Well, I've, I've never done a podcast that didn't go off topic. So I'm looking, <laughs> for, looking forward to it. Okay. I want to talk about like challenging people who are guests who are listening to this podcast. I'm going to call it the Skiller Challenge. And for aspiring HVAC or skilled trades professionals, what's one thing that they can do today to help move them closer to the profession? So maybe they're in high school, maybe they're working in retail. What's one call to action that they can do right now to get them closer to the profession? Read. 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 Is there anything in particular you'd have them read? I'm just glad you asked me that question because I happen to be holding a book and I have zero, zero interest in this book other than I think it's a fascinating read for people who are thinking about the trade. Mm-hmm. I'm not financially compensated. I'm not making a spiff off of books, okay? I want to be clear with that. This book by Nick Kasich. I'm familiar with Nick. The Working, working class. class, Making Trades Cool Again. It's a history lesson to me and because it talks about our ancestors and how we came here and how we had to fix things. We didn't just run down to the phone yes. booth and call the early version of Amazon. We took it apart, repaired it. Yes. Nick, in this book, in in fact, I'm I'm giving away books right now. I bought a bunch of these books. I put it on LinkedIn. Anybody that wants that book can call me and I will mail them one at free free of charge because that's my that's my give back to the community because I believe in it. We have to expose people to the fact that some of us walking this earth have to repair things, you know. You can sit in your house or your office building or, or the store you work in. Somebody has to make the lights come on. When the lights go out, who do you call? When the air conditioner quits and it gets hot, who do you call? Because without all those, you can't run a business because customers won't come to you. So how do we rebuild the awareness? I keep saying that word, but how do we rebrand the American psyche to know that we have to have people like me that are blue collar rooted to go repair this stuff. You know, I think I'm the only one on my street that can turn a screwdriver. And, you know, people ask me all the time, hey, my outdoor lights quit. Can you come have a look at it? So I go up there with a meter. I said, you know, you got a bad uh, outlet. And they're like, how do you know that? Because I study it. You know, I studied that in school. I learned how electricity works. It's a matter of, of taking time and young people are horrible at this because we don't like to educate ourselves. The challenge is when you're young, I'll speak for myself. I didn't understand the value of reading and educating myself. I didn't like school. You know, think about this. I got a sister four years, three years older than I am. PhD level, never made anything short of a 4.0 all the way through her doctoral program. And then here comes me who likes to weld, you know, Mm -hmm. What are you going to do with this kid? Well, this kid excelled really well once I got into shop and the mechanical drawing and drafting. And, you know, I kind of became my own entity through the trades at a very early age. But I didn't understand of picking up the book, a book like the one Nick wrote, to tell me the virtues of that skill. I learned it through my parents, the hard work ethic. But if you could read, 
just in buy this book or a similar book, expose young people, expose people coming out of the military, expose people that are 47 years old that want to do something more than sit in a cubicle mm-hmm. to the fact that there's a great life out there that's very rewarding. I'm glad you very mentioned that. Sorry to jump in there, but I think it's also important to mention that there are people who are going into the trades later in a career, like so like mid, mid-career people. I know a gentleman who went back into welding at 62. He couldn't find a job in the tech world. Obviously, as some people get older, it gets harder for them to find jobs, corporate jobs, because they're the tech industry, let's let's be honest, let's be real. A lot of these small tech startups, you have a lot of 20-something year olds. This guy was 62. So I think obviously, he, I'm sure he was sharp and talented and good at what he did, but he just was having a hard time finding a job back in his old industry. And he used to be a welder years ago. So he went back to welding at 62, which tells you something about the trades. They care. They don't care so much about how old you are. They care that, can the guy do the job? The guy obviously knew how to weld. So away you go. He's, he's back on the job. Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting point, Keith, because I've talked to a lot of young people that... The, let's, and this happens at a car wash, at a particular car wash that I used to frequent. There was a chain of them, probably 30 of them. They would hire high school kids, and these kids were Chick-fil-A type employees. They were not your run-of-the-mill kids. They were good kids yes. who really wanted to do well and excel. And of that cohort of kids they had working, there was usually a natural leader that would rise up, and they would make that leader assistant manager, and then eventually become a manager of their own gas station. Mm -hmm. So I would watch these kids because I would buy this annual pass so I could get washes, you know, to keep my truck clean because I I like to go on a sales call and have my truck clean up. So, I, you know, I was there fairly frequently. I would watch these kids mature and about the time they were ready to really take off in their career, in, in my viewpoint, you know, I would go to them and say, hey, would you know, would you consider making a career change? These kids are handcuffed a lot of times because they're making so much money now and they built their young lifestyle off of that money that they're making at the car wash. Now, put whatever terminology you, you want in for car wash, IT, nursing, or probably not nursing. We struggle finding those. But any, any job that is a moderate pay for young people it's hard for them to quit and to come back into an apprenticeship type program or a trade school type program and start fresh because they've already built that life. I struggle with that. I haven't cracked that code yet, but the IT crowd sometimes can get stuck in that because here they are in their 20s. They come out early. They're making a hundred grand a year. They build the lifestyle off of it. And then suddenly the bubble burst. Now what do they do? They can't go back to 50 grand a year without really retooling their lifestyle. But sometimes that's required, you know, other times not. But to the point you made about the 62-year-old welder, so true. You know, I haven't been in the field for a long time, but if my neighbor called me today and said, hey, my air conditioner's quit, I can't get anybody out here for two weeks because of the trades, uh, skilled trade shortage of labor, which is a real thing, could you come look at my ear? I could go over there and get an air conditioner working and or diagnosed. That doesn't go away. Once you learn that vapor compression cycle that I was speaking of earlier, and once you learn electricity, you're bulletproof. You can go to work in a factory. You can go to work in a hospital, trade, teach. I mean, there's a million things you could do with those skills. 
the military, you know, as guys and ladies are coming out of the military, putting them to work in a job that they do really well is easy because those folks are trained well and they are trained to work. You know, they know how to work and they want to work, most of them. I've got a group that I'm associated with loosely. That's what they do. They place military... Helmets to hard hats. Well, helmets to hard hats is one, and I'm drawing a complete blank on how I'll think of it at the moment. Salute, S-A-L-U-T-E dot com. Jason's going to kick me in the shorts when he hears this, but for me not remembering his name quicker, but that's what they do. They help, you know, people coming out of the military find gainful employment in areas that they were trained in in the military and IT facilities maintenance data center facility maintenance all kinds of different tasking but it's a field that's open for anybody Definitely. so but awareness awareness is the word for the Definitely. day Greg wrapping up now please share how people can find you online how they can find your uh, podcast and find you online well, thank you for that opportunity to, to self-promote. I'll take it. The easiest way is to go to Greg Crumpton, Greg Crumpton altogether.com. You can find my LinkedIn profile there. You can hear the podcast there. You can go to Apple or Spotify and look for a straight Alda Crumpton, O-U-T-T-A, Alda. But just do a Google search. I'm number two. There's a there's an attorney in Cabot, Arkansas, Greg Crumpton, who's number yep. one. So I'm the Greg. I'm Greg number two. Oh, that's awesome. You can't do much better than that. Well, I don't pay for anything. I don't pay for anything. So he may pay for SEO. I don't know. No, but I don't I pay don't. for SEO. I don't pay for that at all. So, but uh, yeah, I'd love for people to come and listen to us. We have a good time. You know, our our whole thing is about you know education. We like to talk about life stories. We talk about the good that comes out of being in the skilled trades. And all of it centered around getting to meet people like you, Keith, and spending, you know, an hour or whatever it is and, and just having a conversation about life. And, you know, now that we're connected, we have been for a little while, we'll we'll continue to help each other. And opportunities like this is what grow our network. And then opportunities for, for those cells floating around our network explode. So you get the whole Kevin Bacon effect. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's amazing because it is such a tight knit community because I actually had uh, Nick, who is the author of that working class book on my podcast as a guest. This world gets really small in terms of networks. It does. And if you think about the core of those people, they're good people. Yes, they you know, the people that I meet in this industry are genuinely concerned with doing more good not just selling books. I don't know what Nick makes off that book, but it's not much because the things he wants it accessible. You know, he gave me a link where I could buy a bunch of them to give away at an affordable price. So he's doing it for the right yes, reason, not just monetary gain. Yeah, I agree. Well, man, I really do, uh, really do appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you. It's so good, you know, just to be able to, to network a little bit and talk to hopefully your 26 million listeners <laughs> and uh, letting them know what's going on in your world. But uh, Skill Stadium is, is something that I enjoy following. You're, you're doing good. Thank you, Greg. Uh, people enjoy listening. I've talked to them, and I know they do. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. It means the world to me. Well, Greg, thank you so much for your time. I wish you continued success and um, look forward to us continuing the relationship. Likewise, my friend. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.